It was pretty funny. One day I came home from school or somewhere, I can't remember where I was, and my old man was listening to our ministry. Was so, he? Just a little story, <laughs> yeah. I my tell you. And he squashed a cockroach on the wall and yeah. like made a grave for it on the wall with a pen. Yeah. Yeah. Just he, minister, he said that ministry yeah, did funny. it to him. Hello and welcome to Too Much of Not Enough, a Silverchair podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Hedger, and in this episode, I'll be talking to a very, 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 very special guest. And I know I say that every time I have a guest, and it's always true, but today I'll be talking to Ben Gillies. That's right, the drummer from the band we're all here to celebrate, the co-writer of Tomorrow, the guy who rammed his head into a bass drum at the 1995 ARIA Awards, Ben Gillies. In our chat, we talked about his songwriting process, his new music, and of course, some of his favourite sewer chair memories as well. So before we launch into my chat with Ben, let's just get some housekeeping out of the way. If you aren't already, please follow me on Instagram at Silverchair Podcast and Facebook at facebook.com slash Silverchair Podcast. In case you missed it, I am doing a mailbag and FAQ episode. So please send in your questions about Silverchair, about the podcast, my plans for the future, even myself if you want. Email me at silverchairpodcast at gmail.com with FAQ in the subject line. Also, if you'd like to support the show, I'd love it if you could rate the show five stars and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You don't have to use the Apple Podcasts app. If you have an Apple ID, you can do it on a desktop. Thank you so much to everyone who already has done so. I think that's helped to get the show into the top 50 music podcasts on the Apple chart, at least locally where I am. And it really means a lot to me. One last thing before we get into the episode, I have signed up to the Buzzsprout affiliate program. Buzzsprout is my podcast host, which I have found really user-friendly. You might remember that I said I had the idea for this podcast more than two years ago, but among other things, I could never find a really user-friendly podcast host who I could basically sign up to and then they would do the rest. So finding them was a really big thing for me. They make it super easy to get listed on all the podcast directories, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. literally at the click of a button. And that meant I was able to just focus on creating. So if you do happen to be looking for a podcast host, I recommend Buzzsprout. And if you go to the affiliate link in the episode description and sign up with Buzzsprout using that link, you get a free $20 Amazon gift card. So with all that out of the way, let's get to my conversation with Bloody Ben Gillies. I say this a lot, but my guest needs no introduction, truly. He's one third of the reason I'm even doing this podcast. It's Ben Gillies. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank <laughs> How you. Are you. Thank you for having me. You know, I'll, I'll start by saying that I've done a few interviews for the for my new music that's coming out, and I've a few of them have actually mentioned you and this podcast. So <laughs> I think it's I think it's appropriate that we're having a chat. Oh, I'm glad to I'm glad to hear that. I um I didn't put them up to that, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, how much did you pay them? Yeah, no, I, I'm kidding. I, I was, I was kind of like, nah, don't hassle him, don't hassle him. <laughs> oh man, you got to, you know, you do, you don't get if you don't ask, ask. So you know, we're we're all yeah. just, we're all just people. So it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with just having chats with people. It's totally, totally fine, man. Oh, that that's good to hear. Then, um, well, I I have heard the new music. Um, or actually, I've only heard the one track, "Breathe In, Breathe Out." Cool. Um, I'm really digging it, man. 
Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really... It's like a... Yeah, go on. No, I'm just... I'm really excited, you know? I haven't had any music out for a fair while, so it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit nerve-wracking, a bit exciting at the same time, but so thank you. Yeah, it's got like a real soul influence. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't I don't know what it is to be honest. Uh, it was just an idea, you know, that that just kind of just turned into a song. I mean, that's how all songs kind of start, right? It's just a just a spark, just an idea that just, you know, that you just build upon. Um, and there wasn't anything in particular that kind of it just kind of it was one of those tracks that just came out of nowhere and that just, it basically wrote itself and it happened in about five minutes. Um, wow. So yeah, they're always my favorite ones. So there was just one of those. I don't really, yeah. I don't, I don't know musically where it really came from either. Like it's just, it just appeared. Well, I suppose you've always had that soul influence. Uh, you know, you've got a James Brown tattoo. You've got that kind of, <laughs> you've got that kind of whole thing going on. Think you've, your style of drumming also, you know, included a bit of that influence along the way. Yeah, I, I don't see it as coming out of nowhere. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. I think um, I, I'd say the two major musical, inf- well, the, the two major musical foundations for me uh, initially was Led Zeppelin and then James Brown. Um, and Led Zeppelin came from a very a real blues background, um, and then obviously the funk. Uh, the funk influence of James Brown. So I think, you know, I think, yeah, it, it makes sense that there would be a soul influence. Yeah. And though, uh, do I hear like a drum loop on that track? Is that? Yeah. Well, is this, that right? Yeah. It was, it's just, it's just a drum machine. Like we, um, yeah. we initially, uh, when, when I first initially started flushing the, the song out with uh, the producer, Jordan Power in Byron Bay, we were in the studio and I guess, I was taking all the parts and I was making them really like over the top, not over the top, but, you know, making these really kind of intricate parts and we were building it up and it it just felt like we were confusing what the song was and we were adding too much. And I think that happens a lot with music, you know, sometimes you just put, you just put stuff and lays on it just because you want to, you know, you want to, I don't know, layer it up and see what it sounds like. But a lot of the times it's best, the songs are best when they're stripped back to their bare essentials. So it was Jordan's idea, actually. He just said, how about we try it without this, you know, intricate drum part and all these parts. And we just said, all right, well, let's just, let's just go for a, a classic boom chick. And, um, <laughs> and it just seemed to work. It just opened the song up and gave all, all the, the melody and, and the chords just more space to kind of breathe. So oh, no pun intended. No, <laughs> no pun, pun intended. Put them cha. Um, so yeah, so that's how that came about. So we just kept it really simple. The rest of the the new album, is, is that sort of stylistically similar to, to the Bento project you did, or is this a whole new thing? Where does it sort of fit in? Yeah, it feels, it feels really different. I think the Bento record for me was, a was a bit of a stepping stone just to get my confidence back with my writing, um, get some more confident singing. Um, I guess being heavily writing in the early days of Silverchair, like, and then I guess Dan taking over that role still, like we all still had a creative, a creative input, you know, cause I get, I did all my drum parts. So, yeah, for sure. so for, 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 but for me, I still felt like I lost some of that confidence. So I just needed to, I felt that's what the Bento record was just kind of purging a lot of ideas that I, that I'd had over the years and just getting some of that confidence. And maybe that's why I called it, you know, uh, it was under a moniker and not my name. Yeah. Where I feel this new music now, it's, it's maybe it's a bit of age as well and experience and, and not worrying about what people are going to say or think and just doing it. I mean, I've always done music because I absolutely love it and, you know, I'll do it for the rest of my life. Um, but I think now I'm just, I'm just in a good good place and I'm, and I'm happy and I'm, I'm happy with, with my songwriting and, and um, so, yeah, I think I can just, you know, just not worry about it. Yeah. I mean, like you talk about your songwriting uh, process, like have you always been a multi-instrumentalist? Like you were writing on guitar even back in the day? Yeah. Is that how? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I always, um, 
I've always played a bit of guitar. I've always played a bit of piano, and I, um, I've never had any kind of formal lessons. I actually started getting piano lessons um, about six months ago, which is has been really wow. fun. Yeah, so I can play piano, but I, I've described it to people like um, like a nineteen nineties computer that they de- you know when they de- used to de- <laughs> defrag the computers. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm defragging my musical knowledge on piano, and it's really fun. Like just filling in some gaps that that I understood if I heard it with my ear, but I did, didn't understand technically how it worked. So it's really nice to. Um, and it's broadening my horizons and, you know, I think it doesn't matter who you are, like no one, no human knows every single facet of their, of their craft. I think if you, can, if you can constantly push yourself and learn, then it's, it keeps it exciting for you. That's such a good analogy to the, the defrag. Yeah, wow, just filling in all the gaps. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I, think, I think we all do it with different things, right? Yeah, no, 100%. I've, yeah, it's, I've, it's always interesting to talk to drummers who are, who are uh, songwriters as well, like who have written for bands, like the drummer from Anthrax, Charlie Benanti, he writes all their riffs. And I always thought that was really interesting because you always get sort of a different feel out of a drummer writing because they've got such a, a, a rhythmic process behind it. They, they sort of get it a bit more uh, in that sense. Yeah. I don't know if, you, if, if that's how you feel. Yeah, I find, it's funny with the way I do lyrics and the way that I sing. I've, I've, I've really had to try and get out of that, the drummer's mentality because, you know, I hear when other singers that I really like, the way they deliver lines and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. I think a lot of the earlier stuff that I was writing on my own, a lot of the lyrics and a lot of the, the melody lines were very to the beat. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and over, and I've, I've had to really try and get out of that habit that I don't have to. It doesn't have to be on a particular beat within a bar or anything like that. Right. You know, it yeah. Can, it can kind of just float on top, and that's kind of that's been really fun. You know, exploring that and and just trying, trying different ways to, you know, come up with melodies that don't that aren't particularly rhythmic to the music. Yeah. They can just be nice and floaty. How do you find singing? Does it come naturally? Like I'm a singer myself and I know it can be intimidating putting yourself out there even more than, you know, when you're playing an instrument, like how to, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely different. Like you don't have, I don't, I don't have my little security blanket, which yeah. is, which is the drums. Um, yeah, it's way more full Monty, but you know, I think, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's nice. It's just it's just a different way to express yourself musically, and it's a different yeah. It's a, just a it's a different experience. I th- I think that the drums are great, and I've I've always gravitated to the drums and you know the the rhythms and it. That's very. I think when you play drums as well, you get a lot of feedback instantly from hitting them. Like you know the resonance coming back at you from mm. the drums. It just feels good, right? Um, but it does restrict you melodically because you know you got you got toms that's it and that it's not <laughs> it's not like you can do a melody really so um it's getting getting away from that and getting on a an instrument or singing or it's it's lovely to be able to to play with the notes and chords and and um yeah but singing i don't know i just it, it it gets, I get, I get a bit nervous about it sometimes. And again, it's just that confidence thing. I just haven't done it mm. enough just to really, just to really go and smash it. But again, it's, you know, I'm getting, I am getting more confident with it and, but, and I enjoy it. You know, I love it. I like if I've got a, yeah. and I find it easier to, to deliver a line as well when you've got words, a lot of my, um, when I'm writing, sometimes if I do the music before I do the, um, the, the lyrics or the melody, like I like just to sing along to it, but it's just gibberish, right? And yeah, yeah. I, I find you get a lot of lyrics that way, right? Because it's very, sub- yeah. very subconscious. Um, but because That's I That's how James Hetfield from Metallica writes. If you've ever seen behind the scenes footage, he, he they literally goes, la, 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 la. All right, I'll, that'll be the melody. And then I'll come up with the words later. It's, it's a great way to write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, what I find with that though is, um, it's not good for your, your singing confidence because what I, <laughs> what I say to Joe, I find it easy to hit the notes if I know what I'm delivering. 
Right. Um, but if I'm if I don't know what I'm doing, like sometimes you know, I, I say that I say that I sound like a club seal. Um, <laughs> so so sometimes when Jordo, you know, when we're in the studio and Jordo plays something back, and I've I've just kind of ad libbed. Yeah, it can sound like to my ears anyway. It just sounds disgusting. But then over time, you know, you 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 work on the lyrics and and you you tighten up the melody and eventually the, the final product. You know, well, hopefully you're happy with it. I'm happy with it. Have you always written lyrics, or is that something that's had to come later? Yeah, I was never a lyrics like I guess when I first discovered music and really fell in love with it. I mean, I kind of loved it when I was a ch- when I was a child. Like you know, I started playing drums at eight. Um, yeah. but I think it was around the, I was, I was around 10 or 11. My, my dad kept saying to me, listen to Led Zeppelin, listen to Led Zeppelin. Listen to Led Zeppelin. And I was like, Oh, you don't know what you're talking about, old man. <laughs> um, until this one day, I'll remember it really clearly. I was in our, um, my, the, 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 my childhood home and in our lounge room, my dad had the whole house wide up with speakers everywhere. Like you could go <laughs> to the bathroom and it, yeah, there was this pat, there's this kind of dial where you could dial in what, what room you wanted the music to be pumped to. That's amazing. So it'd be great. I'd go in the bathroom, you could put music on in there. But anyway, we had these huge speakers in our lounge room and I remember Dad putting on a, a Led Zeppelin song called Nobody's Fault But Mine and I just had this like, it was a serious light bulb moment. It just something clicked inside of me and I became obsessed with Led Zeppelin after that moment and... Um, I was going to circle back to something else. What was I saying before? I can't remember. I don't know. I'm I, writing lyrics, writing lyrics. Writing lyrics. Was that what I was saying? Oh, shit. I've completely lost my train of thought. Yeah, it was about starting to write lyrics and not having written in the in the early days. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. So I'm sure you can edit all that and make it sound yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> So, um... So yeah, even when even when I really kind of kind of you know had that moment with the Led Zeppelin thing, and I, I would get back home from school and I'd listen to, I'd sit on um, in front of our family stereo, had a turntable and a CD player, and I'd sit there for like six, seven hours at a time, just just trying to discover new music. And but I, I found I was more drawn more to the the music of it and the melody, and not so much the words. Yeah, right. Um, and I, some people, I, I, I've had this conversation a few times and I, I do find some people do that. Like they just don't know the words to songs, but they recognise the melody. Um, but I guess later in life, well, you know, later for me, like you do start becoming more interested in what the, what the, the, the songwriter is trying to say or what, yeah. you know, or what they're trying to crypt, crypt, cryptically say. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I've it's let's put it this way: the lyrics, writing the lyrics, hasn't come easy to me. Um, yeah. I've had to really work on it, and I think I've had a couple of penny drop moments. Like you know, it, you kind of try and you try and sidestep around what you're trying to say, but then I think once you find that nice place where you just you, you're not giving too much away, but you. You're giving a little hint of what you want to, you know, what you want to convey. That's, I find that's a nice, a nice spot for people because, you know, I don't want to kind of, you don't want to dish it up to people and say, I don't know, something really, really straightforward and it's just boring, you know. You yeah. want it to be kind of interesting and a little bit abstract. So, you know, I don't know. I'm working on it. I'll keep working yeah, on it. Yeah, definitely. And I love it. So, Oh, that's awesome. Do we have a release date? Do you have, do you have a date for the album? So I'm not, I'm not particularly doing an album. It's funny. A few people ask me like, when's your album coming out? Um, my plan is just to kind of release a string of singles. Great. Uh, and that's, I think it's, a, I guess the music industry now and the way it's delivered, it allows you yeah. to be able to do that. So, so that's, that's hundred percent true. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my plan. And I guess because I'm releasing it as an ind- independent artist as well, I think it's it's expensive to make records and you also put a lot of effort into it. And then I find people hear the, the first single and maybe a couple of other tracks and then all the other tracks just disappear and kind of get yeah. forgotten. So it's a nice... It's a good way to help people focus on like one song at a time as well. Yeah, totally. And then I think maybe in, you know, 12 months or so, if I've got enough singles out there, I might, you know, do a couple of fresh songs, package it up, 
do an album or do a vinyl, something like that. But to be honest with you, I'm just I'm just going to take one single at a time. Yeah, no, fantastic. And and you know, you've been in the industry long enough. Like you would have seen so many changes in the music industry and like the media. Like, can do you reflect on that? Or like, how how does it? Every time you've sort of you've done something, it, it's probably a whole new landscape. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I guess for the the Silverchair records were very much about CDs and and you know yeah. and and tour, it's always been about touring. Touring's always been an important part. But I think the the digital platforms have almost been liberating. I mean, in a way, it's, it, it makes for way more noise. Like, it's really hard to cut through and it's hard, hard. I find it hard, much harder to discover music that I get really excited by. Um, but it also makes it a lot easier, like I said, for an indie artist to release music, you know, because it, it, mm-hmm. it is expensive to, um, to put out CDs and distribute it. So, I mean, it's awesome just to be able to, you know, it's a few clicks away and then you can get it out to thousands of people. Yeah, for, a, for an independent artist, like you say, it's probably preferable to the old days, um, though there's, the, the, there's like a cap on the amount of success maybe that you can get until you like really break through, which, had, which I suppose was the, was the case back then. It was just there were fewer people that got through. Yeah, there was like a some kind of there was some kind of filter um, when when Silverchair started that you really had to have something special to be able to to be signed, I guess, and have the opportunity to to, to release an album. Um, there were still independent options, but it was just it was a much tougher road, you know, to to get something mm. out there. Um, so yeah, look, I, I love it. I, I really like it. I mean, it makes it makes. I mean, I'm kind of looking after a lot of the stuff that I'm doing. I've got a team, like a, a, an awesome team behind me with Believe, uh, PR Files, and uh, and Andrew Rhodes, the guy that's looking after my digital marketing. Like, it's an awesome. T- it's basically like a record company, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they all serve the same purpose, but it's just a lot more. It's a lot more agile, and it's a you know you, you can you can you can action things a lot quicker. You don't have to you know there isn't a lot of a, a big chain of command that you know you have to get th- things through before before you can put it out. Yeah, true. And I suppose yeah, back in the day, so it's obviously 2020, 25 years since since Frog Stomp, which I'm sure people keep bringing up to you. <laughs> How how do you do you reflect on that time at all, or do you sort of just go, oh wow, it was twenty five years? Or yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, the, the, like when Silverchair took off, and and that whole time in my life, it's I've got some really fond memories, and it was exciting, and it was so so foreign and so new. Um, yeah, it was it was fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think uh, I think any any kind of 14 or 15 year old boy essentially would, you know, would jump at the chance to have the experiences that we were lucky enough to have. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm thankful that even to this day, you know, there's that it's still, the silver chair still open doors for me to this day. And, um, you know, talking to lovely people like yourself and, <laughs> and the other people that I've kind of, you know, been chatting to about my music. And so it's, you know, um, it's it's part of my experience and it's part of my reality. I mean, Silverchair doesn't, I guess it, it doesn't define the person that I am. It's just it's kind of just part of my experience. Um, yeah, of course. And it's friggin' it's friggin' awesome. Don't get me wrong. And I'm I love I, I love it. It's you know to be on stage and play music with with two of your best mates that you went through school with and lived three yeah. blocks away from each other and and played sports together like it's and you know just and and at at the level that we got to kind of experience it at like yeah it's it's awesome i love it so yeah as you mentioned you're like you you had you know your best mates in the band with you and is it true like you had to teach chris how to play bass so he could be in the band is that right Uh, i wouldn't go that far (laughs) (laughs) that's the story well, I, the way I remember it is that I, 
my old man found a, an old bass amp and a bass guitar that one of his mates or some at a garage sale or something like that. And it was like 200 bucks and he grabbed it. And then we needed a bass player because um, at the time it was Daniel and myself and another guy playing guitar. And uh, it was like, you know, we we're playing in a band with no bass. And then once we got a bass player, like we were like, holy shit, where have you been all of our lives? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I showed Chris a couple of things, but I, I don't know. It was too long ago. Like, you know, Chris is an awesome. Yeah, of Chris is an awesome bass player. I didn't start show him shit. He did it all himself. Well, that's what I wanted to bring up is that, like, working with him, it, like, you you were basically a power trio, and and you had to be so locked in with Chris. And I think I've mentioned this on my on the episodes where I talk about the albums, but like, you're so locked in with him. Like how, how was your relationship musically with him um, as the rhythm section? Because I think you worked brilliantly. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's, it is funny where it's sometimes it's hard to have that perspective outside of yourself, but maybe some time, you know, away from Silverchair, has, it, ma- it makes you appreciate it even more. You know, I've always appreciated it, you know, that the, the, hind, the hindsight and, and perspective makes you appreciate it even more. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think Chris and I, I guess when you're in something and you're too close to it, you don't really realize what you've got sometimes, you know, it's yeah. like Joni Mitchell. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think, um, Chris and I definitely have a, I mean, I think the magic of Silverchair is the alchemy of all three of us together, yeah, you know, 100%. so, so it's the relationship each of us have with each other musically. Plus when we play together, yeah, so Chris and I definitely have, you know, there's definitely a magic there that we lock into each other. But I guess you just you're not you're not overly aware of it. You're just kind of playing, you know. But and I yeah. think that's that's time and experience. And um, but yeah, we definitely we definitely lock in. There's no doubt. Yeah, no, hundred <laughs> percent. Like I like even when I've been able to hear um, some of the 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 individual tracks and you can just isolate you guys. It's just so, yeah, it's brilliant. And yeah, and it, it makes the silver chair sound. I don't know if you, if you ever got the credit you should have for that. Maybe you did. I, I yeah, I think it's, it's that maybe unsung, um, secret of the band is the, is, is Chris and Ben together. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. No, I, look, I, I'll, I'll always stand by, you know, the magic, the magic of silver chair is the band, you know, um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think you could take those songs and do them with any other artist, and it would have the same kind of magic. Um, so, I mean, I've been. I've actually been trying to convince Chris to potentially come and tour with some of the stuff that I'm doing at the moment, and I've been trying That'd to be amazing. I've been trying to drag him into the studio just to jam and see if we can kind of. Because one of some of the best Silverchair stuff, and I wish we recorded it over all those years, was sound checks. Holy shit. Some of the ideas that came out at Soundchecks were ridiculous. Yeah. So the way Soundchecks would usually work is, um, you know, I would go on first, check all the drums, play some time, you know, then Chris would wander on. It was it was like a James Brown show, right? We're all just yeah, yeah. We're, we're all, <laughs> we're all staggered on. Anyway, then Chris would come out, check his, you know, he'd make some noise, but then once his bass sound was up and running, we'd kind of start, kind of just, we'd start jamming on some like, just I'd start a beat, Chris would start something. And eventually Dan would come out, do his like, check his vocal mic, check his guitar. And then Dan would start locking into whatever we were doing. Yeah. And some of the jams were ridiculous. Even I was there going like, holy shit, we should have recorded all that because there must, there would have been maybe two other, three other records that yeah. we could have put out with all that cool Damn. shit. I, know, I wonder if there were. I wonder if there were any enterprising uh, uh, engineers who, who were who were secretly recording that. Yeah, I don't know. Wow. Maybe, maybe we should ask them. <laughs> I'm sure they've come out of the woodwork. Um, now, like, I'm not a drummer, but I have a lot of mates who are drummers, and and uh, a friend of mine, Richard, he's a great drummer, and he he really we were talking to him about your drum sound changing from when you were on the Pearl Kit sort of a you know, neon ballroom era and then to Le Soprano. Yep. 
with with diorama and it sort of completely changed how you played in a way would, would that is that accurate yeah i'd say so i think um it was probably around the time i be i had the same obsession with james brown as i did with led zeppelin yeah. um and and I had a really, I had an amazing teacher too that I was, I mean, I still got lessons up till I was about 28. Wow, um, yeah. So during that whole time with Silverchair, I kept getting lessons and I kept trying to learn new things and, and it, you know, just expand on, on my knowledge. Um, so, you know, I, I, during that whole time, I just felt like I kept kind of improving and, 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 and discovering new ways to play. So I, it kind of followed me through all the progression of all those records. Um, so anyone listening to this podcast, I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. Oh, well, well I'll hey. tell you, my, my, friend, my friend Richard definitely was because he, he was like, because I, I, I didn't tell many people I was doing this interview, but he was one of them because I know he's such a, he's such a huge fan of yours. And he's sure. like, you have to ask him about, you know, how – Neon Ballroom has a really heavy hitting Led Zeppelin style playing and then Diorama and, and Young Modern, you've got this really, um, it's like a lighter touch, there's a thinner cymbals and I'm like, wow, that's a good point. And, it, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Yeah, um, and spot yeah, on, def- It's really, it's noticeable for, you know, a drummer, but it's noticeable for me as well. Like there's, there's heaps of little fills and stuff that you do. Like on a song like Love Your Life, you got you got a huge fill at the very end. It's, uh, and I've always just gone like that, that. Those kind of little things in between the at the very end of that song where you've got sort of the chorus going off and then you've got the bang. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Lots, lots of air drum moments. Yeah, nice. Do, do you remember? Do you remember anything in particular like that that you loved playing? Um, I mean, that's, uh, that's a real, it's a real bottom thing, right? Where you are coming in and out of, um, of sections, you know, to have those kind of fills and the accent into it. Like, yeah, they're, they're, to- they're so much fun because, and that's where I think the locking in with the band is, is makes it even more exciting and more fun because you know that when you're, you're kind of locking into the internal click and you're put, doing this fill, and you've got so much trust in the other guys that you're playing the music with that you know that when you when you hit that symbol at the end of the fill, it's just gonna they're gonna hit whatever chord they've got to hit. Yeah, yeah. And it's just that's the magic, and you just go oh, and it gives. I just got goosebumps thinking about it. Um, <laughs> and it's always tasteful. Like I feel like that's something that maybe non musicians don't don't understand. But it's like you can do a crazy double kick fill thing that just doesn't sound good, but to get it in the pocket and, and feeling nice and tasteful is, uh, is a challenge. It's not yeah. always, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, I, I, I don't, in, in terms of my drumming, I, I never felt like I was like, I wasn't a big showy drummer. Like I can't, some of those crazy like stick flicks that guys do when they play, like <laughs> I never, I never was never really interested in that stuff. I, I just, Maybe it's my bottom influence. Like I just, I love Bonham's playing so much. Like he just laid down the heaviest kind of beats. It just kind of rumbled through your whole body and just such good grooves that you could just sit in. Like, you know, if you're in the studio and you found one of those really cool grooves, like you could just sit in that for like half an hour, just happily, like everyone else around you might be there going, fuck, I'm bored as hell. But the, <laughs> the drummer is sitting there going, I'm having the time of my life sitting in this groove you know it just feels yeah. so good and um i don't know that that's what it's all that's that's what it's always been about for me what feels good is is general general generally what you should be playing you know like i think um I, I do find with drums it's it's probably it's like a sport right some drummers get really competitive about you know what they can do <laughs> what they can do and but i i, I think I think it's like like any 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 instrument, right? Like just play to the best of your ability and love what you're doing, and it no, it doesn't really it doesn't matter how fast you can play or how syncopated you can play or whatever it is. It's uh, just play what feels good. And serving the and you serve the song better that way as well. Hundred percent, and you know, like yeah, I think yeah, listen to the song. Don't just 
be like, what's my part going to be? Listen to, it's about listening to what the other musicians are doing, what the melody's doing. And I always found one of the things that I, that I'd like to, I like to do, and I do it habitually is I'd follow the, sometimes I'd follow the, 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 mel- the melody line. Okay. Like, see, I'd like to accent on the kick, like some of those melody lines. Yeah. Wow. I find that really worked as well. So, and, and I suppose as you know, if, if Daniel shows you a song and it's, it's a bit more complex or, or it doesn't fit into a certain groove that might've pushed you to try something different or, or vice versa. In fact, you might've, you might've had a, a rhythmic idea that, that pushed the song in a, in a slightly different direction. Yeah. I think, I think that's the, that's just the push and pull of songwriting. You know, mm. some it's, until you until you until you plug a song into like particularly in a band environment until you plug a song into the band it could um you know it's kind of it's like who wants to be a millionaire it's not locked in you you, you know (laughs) you got to um you got to you got to wait until you've played a few times with the band until it really starts to kind of be molded into what that final sound will be yeah 100 percent so out of your whole career, do you have any particular moments that you kind of look back on fondly, either in terms of like in the studio or live or, or any personal things? Like, do you have, can you, can you think of just highlights off the top of your head? Um, I mean, look, the, the one that I always come back to is probably when we played Rock and Rio. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the, the experience of playing to the audience was 250,000. It's crazy. <laughs> um, it's just, it's just one of the wildest things I've ever done and ever seen, and I'll never forget it. And it was the way I've, I've told a few people this that I, I like getting in YouTube holes and watching stuff about science, different science stuff. It really, yeah, it's really interesting. And one of the things I don't, I'll probably describe this completely incorrectly, but I'll give it a go. That when you get atoms and you cool them down to a certain temperature, like a, a, a group of atoms start to behave as a single wave. Um, and that's kind of what happened at Rock and Rio. It's like when you see a group of, when you see 250,000 people in one area at once and they were kind of all locked into, you know, one like music, yeah. It's like the it's like the whole audience started to move more like an ocean. Wow. It's it's really it was re- it's really it was incredible to see it. How do you go about putting together a, a set list for something where there's that many people? Like you did something really risky. You played like two or three new songs that no one had ever heard before on that gig. Yeah, I do remember thinking that was kind of silly doing that, but <laughs> But people seem to like it. I remember. Oh yeah, there was a track called Hollywood that we played. Yeah, um, that seemed to go down reasonably well, considering. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty silly in hindsight, right? So let's test out some new tracks in front of this or this this audience. Yeah, I, and and the but I remember watching that. I guess it was on Channel V, and going, oh, there's there's a new Silverchair song. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's and go. I think yeah. I, I don't know, the, the people in the audience must have loved it as well, but I remember thinking, oh, okay, there's these, they're working on a new album, they must be, because there's all these new songs that I've never heard before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of silly, right? Like when you go, like I always like to think of doing a set list, you should write it as if you're a fan. Or I think a good way is to go one for you, one for us. Kind yeah, of, yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, but it's, always, it's also good to have songs that are, that, that are familiar so to go out and do, yeah, to go out and do new songs in that invite in that setting was probably a bit silly, but anyway, we did it and it seemed to work. Yeah, I think it really did work. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, I, I've always wondered about your how you put together the set list, whether because I know at a certain point you 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 weren't playing much from the early albums, and I did wonder whether there was ever well, how about we we don't we you know, instead of playing Israel Sun, we'll play you know, cicada or something, or was it just those songs were not what you wanted to be doing live anymore or, or they weren't as interesting to play? Yeah, I think, look, I think that's that balance between writing a set list like you're a fan 
versus um, satisfying your needs on stage to be able to deliver a good performance. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if, if you're on stage and you're playing older music that you've kind of got a little, well, you've kind of just grown out of, Yeah. 100%. you know, it's like, I mean, I was wearing like cargo pants and like big billabong t-shirts <laughs> when I was that age. Like you just grow, <laughs> you just grow out of it. Right. But I, I think, um, you know, we always tried to satisfy what the audience kind of wanted and have a little flavor of each record in there. Um, a lot of it was also dictated by Dan singing because of the, um, you know, you don't want to put too many taxing songs vocally up the front of the set and then then rip it to shreds. And so you can't, you know, you, you just won't make it to the end. Um, and also I guess having that nice flow, you know, that, that book, the, the push and pull of the songs, right. Um, if, if, you, if it's like, if you just had like, you know, hard pumping songs the whole way through, like it'd just be relentless and you wouldn't get a break. Yeah. So it's nice to have yeah. that, you know, have, have some kind of slower ones or some, just have some dynamics I think is important as well. So it's a bit of a balancing act, but you also, I also found on tour, you'd get in a we'd get basically at the set that we're going to do for the most of tour. Then you might take in a few out here and there, just depending on where you were, where you were, but that was yeah. kind of how we, that's kind of how we operated. That's such a good point about, yeah, not first, not how, making sure you've got the dynamics, but also physically it's hard to perform certain songs in, in a row. Yeah. And there's also the, yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's, that- it's, yeah. It's, it's like going to, well, it's like going to the gym, right? If you if if you, if you're busting your ass on something, it's nice to do something a little bit more passive than on for the next exercise. So, yeah, it is like if you're if you're busting your ass on a song to kind of get through, you know, to get through the end, and it's a big push of energy. Yeah, it is nice to come out of the other side of that and do something a little little bit more forgiving. And even there's the technical aspect of just you don't want to be switching guitars. I mean, this wouldn't apply to you necessarily on as, as the drummer, but the, you've got different tunings and stuff and different guitars for different songs. Like you don't want to be switching back and forth all the time. Yeah. And that was all that was considered doing the set list, you know, it, um, particularly with Dan and Chris, because they would both have to change guitars. Um, mm. So sometimes it was that, you know, it'd be, it'd be good to do two, a couple of tracks in a row using the same guitar because that, you know, it just, it just meant the the show could kind of have a nice flow to it. Yeah. And I, and I got to the point where I could tell if the, if this guitar is coming out, it's going to be this song or one of these <laughs> songs. How many shows have you been to? I've actually, you know what? It's, it's funny. I actually only have been to two. I saw you in 96 and 2007. Oh, cool. Because I, I was, I was young. I came, there was, do you remember the pushover at the, the, in the Melbourne docks, that that festival was um, all Aussie does, music. Yeah, yeah, it does. It ring. It rings a bell. And I was like a, a little twelve year old, and um, you you played. I don't know. You played after Spider Bait in the big shed, and it was ninety six. So, and it was the first. It would have been the end of ninety six, and I think you started. I think it was the first time you'd played, or one of the first times you'd played stuff off Freak Show. Right. And I remember. I remember specifically hearing Freak and Cemetery. And then for whatever reason, I didn't get to another show, show until a decade later. And I saw you at the at the the forum, which doesn't exist anymore in Melbourne. The forum doesn't exist. What happened to the forum? Got, uh, uh, no, sorry, let, let me sorry. guess. Let me guess. Yeah. It's an apartment building. Well, it was, so it used to be, sorry, it was the Metro and then they changed, they caught, so not the forum, oh, not, the, not the forum, sorry, the palace. So not oh, the palace yes. in St Kilda, yes. the palace that in the in the in the city, uh, which it was basically. The, I think something pretty bad happened where it was a venue for many years, and then uh, they were trying to get heritage listed. But then the people that had bought it to develop it as apartments yeah. went in before the heritage listing went through and just started demolishing things, and so the heritage listing it's ended too up. Late. It was too late. So it was like, well, I guess we'll just turn it into apartments, unfortunately. Uh, it sounds like they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, um, no, it's a bit unfortunate. Anyway, yeah, right. I do. Um, 
Yeah, I do. I do remember the. I definitely remember the the palace show. Was it? Pa- did you say Palais or Palace? Oh no, the, the, well, the ones down in St Kilda, right? No, no, but see, not that, not that venue, because those venues. Oh, it's not those venues. It's the one that used to be called the Metro, and then it was called the Palace Venue. It was like I don't know why we have three theaters in Melbourne that were the same name, but we did. Right, maybe I'm <laughs> the maybe- one that. It's the one at the top, the top of uh, top of Swanson Street. Ah, shit, I don't know. Mate, actually, I don't know. Who am I kidding? Doesn't matter. It was it was a, it was a club show. I mean, it was like I don't know how many it it, it, it fit, but it was on the Young Modern tour anyway. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> cool. How do you, how do you find the fan base overall? Do you do you have a good relationship with you? Do you still get hassled, or do they leave you alone? No, I mean. Silverchef, Silverchef. Some Silverchef fans are really fanatical, and you know they get they get right into it. Um, and it's it's weird because it's because it's my reality. It's I've lived it. Like it's just it's my normal, right? Yeah, but, of course. But I, I I guess when I think about other bands, for lack of a better example, Led Zeppelin. Like for me, it does it's, it does have this magic about it. Yeah. You know, so I, I try and imagine like oh, is is that what they're feeling? Is that how they think about us? Yeah. You know, do they think there's like this magical fucking, <laughs> I don't know, halo over our heads? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, look, there's, I mean, our, the Silverchair fans have been great. You know, they've always supported us. They've always, they kind of, they came along the ride for us when we kind of kept changing our music and, and you know, I guess evolving as musicians as well. So for that, you know, really thankful and a lot of them are um a lot of the silver chair fans have kind of followed my personal journey too yeah so yeah it's i mean we wouldn't be we wouldn't be where we are and we wouldn't have had the experiences that we've had in the band if it wasn't for those people so you know thank you to all those people (laughs) oh 100 percent and then you know you had you had the Llama Appreciation Society and um, everybody loved that. The, the Llama Appreciation Society, yeah, that was that was, was an that old was ahead school of its time. Club. Yeah, yeah. Man. Um, yeah, that was good fun actually. Some of the stuff we did for that, I did a bunch of videos for that. I edited these videos on tour in 2007, I think, and. Um, Hopefully one day I'll, I can put them online. They're absolutely hilarious. Oh, it would be great to have, I don't know, like a book or something that's just, that's a you know selection of <laughs> of all that stuff. Because I like I know people have it. People have kept it, and um, yeah, it'd be interesting just to to have a you know some sort of legacy LAS <laughs> release. Yeah, I actually it's um I was at my mum's house six months ago or so or a few months ago going through some stuff and she's she kept so much of that that fan club stuff and like i just i kind of forgot about all this the the the, the different products and the different gifts that we gave to our you know for the fan club and some of them were awesome like i get again like if i imagine i was in a led zeppelin fan club and i got some of the stuff that the 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 silver chair fan club got like i would have been stoked yeah exclusive singles and you know annuals and yeah yeah i know more artists should do it just keep you know keep the mystique that's the th- that's the, that's one of the big difference i think for with the music industry now right there's no because people didn't have that immediate access to artists yeah. It just it created this mystique around them, like they were kind of not oh, yeah. untu- not untouchable, but it just it felt like this magical kind of universe that you know that you just get rained down with this this magical music. That's <laughs> that's it. You, you know, could go away for you go away for a couple of years, and people would still be there for you. Whereas now you kind of have to be constant and. It's like, know, Mac- it's, in- it's like Maccas, you know, you need, it's yeah. like instant, you go and have a cheesy, then you, you know, in an hour you're hungry again. You want to have another cheesy. Like, I don't eat McDonald's, but that's, that's, that's what I'm comparing it to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 No, yeah. That's the, the, the flip side of, you know, everything being at the click of a button is maybe some things get devalued. You don't appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. That's it. It's so, it's, it's, 
it's um it's like it is it's fast food it's really it's really it's it's like it's like a consumer like you just it's it's not just consuming like i don't know food or goods now it's like any any kind of entertainment it's just so fast and i mean i really like I, like don't get me wrong i buy into it too like you know, yeah. I get on, like, if I ever want everyone watch TV now, like, you know, you get on and you've got, like, six services to pick from. You're like, okay, yeah. dish it up. I yeah, am yeah. ready to be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Especially, I, I, actually, are you, are you back in Newcastle or are you in Melbourne? Back in Newy, yeah. Okay, so you're not, you're not experiencing the lockdown like we are. No, thankfully. So you have a little bit more of a, of you, a few Freedom. more options for um, leaving the house and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I've been, I've been actually, I've been, I was only in Byron last week with Jordan doing a, doing a session. So it's not, it is nice to be able to go more than, is it 5K from your home? Yeah, 5K. It's just, I mean, we didn't even get, the lockdown here wasn't even that crazy when it first hit. Yeah. You know, but I guess, yeah, I guess it seems to be working there, right? So. I yeah, know. I hope it's fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the new, it's the new norm anyway. And yeah, even, yeah, unfortunately. But I guess things like this, right? Like it feels like we're sitting in the same room having a chat. Like it's yeah, that's it. Which is really cool. Like before, before that, no one would have ever said. But it's look, it sucks. But there's there's a couple of good things yeah. that come out of it. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm able to work from home, so it's essentially, I've, I, it hasn't affected me too much, which is a good thing. Yeah. Nice. So, what 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 is your day to day sort of like? Are you just working on music all the time? Are you? Um, I'm, yeah, at the moment I am. Yeah, it's. I feel like. I'll tell you one th- one thing that the the um, pandemic has done for me is almost made me refocus on music even more than I was yeah. before. You know, and it's one of the reasons why I've been taught thinking about having these piano lessons and, um, so. Yeah, I've, I mean, and particularly now that I've got like a, a, a few singles coming out and because I'm doing a lot of the work, um, it makes me appreciate all, for all those years what our management were doing. Holy <laughs> shit. There's a lot of work that goes into yeah. it. Um, you know, you can't just be an artist and, you know, write a good song and put it out and hope that it does well. Uh, I mean, that does happen very, very occasionally. Um but, you know, usually you've got to put in work, you know, you need to, you could build the best restaurant on the planet, but if you don't know, if, it, if you don't tell any, anyone that it, ex, that it exists, then it'll, no one will ever know. So. That's um, it. I mean, and you had a, you had some great people with you, John Watson and Melissa Jennery and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Watto, Watto and Mel, like they, they're, they're amazing. And, um, you know, I, I kind of think, um, I kind of feel like they were kind of like the fourth member of the band, really. Like, you yeah, know, if, yeah. if, I think they were just as important as the band and the music to for the to the for the success of the band. So, um, you know, we were also very thankful to have those guys in our corner. Are they still in charge of like the Silverchair name and legacy? Like, how does how does that work? Um. Oh, uh, yeah. Let, I don't think we need to. Chat about that, eh? Oh no, that's all right. <laughs> sorry, just, sorry. Oh, all good. Just, wonder, just wondering. Yeah, yeah. All good. It just seems a bit. Uh, I don't know. It just seems a bit. That just doesn't seem important at the moment. No, no, no. Sorry. It's all good. It's all good, man. You didn't know. You don't know. It's all good. Oh well. Th- thanks so much for doing this. Um, yeah. Oh I'm, man, like, no worries. People, are, people are going to be very happy. Um, as I, as am I. <laughs> Cool. No, I'm happy. To, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you reached out, man. I did get, I think I got one or two emails from you. Sorry I didn't get back to you quicker. It was just, oh, that's right. Uh, Lara got back to me. Um, yeah. She's been great. Yeah. I think, I don't know if it was your follow up or something. I just flicked it straight to her and said, yeah, let's have a chat. Um, and it was, yeah, awesome. I think awesome. it was literally after I did a few interviews and it, they, it, literally a couple of people mentioned you and then you emailed and I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> So no, it works, man. And can you can you please like like edit out all my ums and ahs and make me sound semi kind of like? You'd be surprised how much I do that anyway. So yeah, it's fine. <laughs> awesome. No, nah, you've been good. You've been really good. Because awesome. I actually, yeah, I don't usually record on Zoom, so it actually, but um, it, it actually helps to see you and and you know, 
Oh, it's way better. Bit- actually, I've done this on one of the uh, uh, it's the the tour podcast. I can't remember what it's called. Um, that time on tour, that one yes, time on tour yes. with Chris Swinney. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Um, but he did the same thing. He we just started audio, and I was like, dude, turn the camera on. Like it's yeah, it'll yeah. be way more natural, and we can have a nice conversation. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's the future. It's, it makes interviews way um, way nicer to actually you're talking yeah. to a hu- human, right? Yeah, I, yeah, probably wasn't. Yeah, I, I, that's probably something that that's. I don't know if it's better or if it's just different. Like the, from the way that, like even when I used to write for like Beat Magazine in Melbourne, and yep. you know, you, you'd you'd have you'd just be on the phone to an international call, and you're trying to record it as well, and you just you just couldn't really get into a good uh, groove with with the person you're talking to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, and you do some. I remember doing some like big interviews for big like a cover of a big magazine or something yeah and it's like a half an hour interview over the phone and they're going yeah and you know a lot of those articles turn out really well but there is something nice about you know yeah seeing someone and conversing like you're in the same room yeah 100 percent. cool all right well thank you very much ben gillies uh it's been a pleasure um this will come out after the because your single comes out tomorrow yeah yeah so this will come out after that, but um, I'll definitely put some stuff on the socials about about the new song and uh, you know, awesome. give it some promo because because uh, be Lara sent me Lara sent me the press kit with the photo and it, and everything, so I'll I'll put that up as well. Be oh, fantastic. You're a, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you. Y'all. Same to you. And just personally, <laughs> thank you for you know <laughs> for all the music over the years. Oh mate, no worries. I mean, it's a kind of. I'm I'm doing it pretty selfishly, but you know if there's um if the repercussions are that it helps other people or in, enriches other people's lives in any way, then that's that's a it's a pretty cool added bonus. It, indeed, it is. Indeed, it is. Well, uh, I'll I'll let you uh, go have lunch or whatever you do up in Newey. Um. <laughs> we just rock in Newey, mate. We rock. Yeah, we just rock. <laughs> yeah, in Melbourne, we just sit at home and have a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, look, thank you, and uh, I will. I'll wait to. Uh, I'll have a listen once you post it. Yeah, yeah. No actually, worries. maybe I won't actually because I don't. No one likes hearing their own voice. <laughs> no, I will. I'll have. I'll have a, at least well, a, just a squeeze. I, I, I promise I won't, I won't stitch you up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, Daniel. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, man. You, you have later. a nice day. You too, man. Have a great right. So there you have it. Ben Bloody Gillies on this show. Pretty good. Once again, I'd like to thank Ben and his team for making this happen. Definitely check out his new single, Breathe In, Breathe Out, wherever you get your music these days. Ben is on Instagram at bengillies888. Oh, damn, I should have asked if that was a poker reference. Anyway, his website is bengillies.com. That's gillies spelled G-I-L-L-I-E-S. Also, a couple of things for the nitpickers. The Palace, formerly the Metro Theatre that I mentioned seeing Silverchair at, is on Burke Street, not Swanston Street. It's been a while and that area of the city is quite different now, but yes, still, bad mistake since they are not even parallel to each other. You might also have noticed that my audio sounded a little different than usual. That's because we were recording over Zoom, which I don't usually do, and I had a convoluted setup so that I could monitor myself, which involved two microphones and two recording devices. Very boring stuff. Anyway, that's why I might sound a little more reverby than usual. And again, as always, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell anyone who might be interested, rate, review, subscribe, email me if you like, follow me on social, share my content, tag me in it. That really helps spread the word. All the info is in the episode description. Also, if this is your first time listening to the podcast because you wanted to hear Ben and fair enough, um, please check out some of the other episodes of the show. I recommend the Neon Ballroom episode as well as the Diorama episodes, though they might be a lot to jump in on if you're a first time listener. But please stick around. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you keep enjoying the show. Okay, thanks again for listening. See you next time. Bye.